You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to dive into what God has for us today. Father, I just ask for your help today, Lord. I just ask that we would be honest with ourselves as we sit there today, Lord, that we would not um, be distracted about what's um, happening tomorrow or or next week or even 10 minutes from now, Lord. I pray that we would just not be distracted and, and allow God to speak to us as he has spoke to me over the last two weeks um, as far as looking at the, the flood story as your grace, as grace that God has given us. It's your grace. It's future grace that we walk in. It's just amazing, Lord. And uh, Lord, as we continue to walk in that today, Lord, I just pray that you help us, help our hearts to see that and see who you are and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin by asking a question. Now, just a simple question and, and you answer it in your own heart. When a person does something for you, when they do something nice, <laughs> when they do something mean, right? When they buy a meal or they jump in and help you around the house or um, they drive you to a doctor's appointment or whatever that thing may be, do you have a tendency in your heart to already, if not immediately, but maybe put that in, in the back of your thinking of, man, how can I pay them back? How am I going to pay them back? How am I going to do something nice for them because they did something nice for me? Most of us would probably agree this is what we do in some form or fashion. This is what we do. Maybe we don't do it immediately, but we kind of put it on the back burner like, oh, I owe that person one. Well, no, they're just doing it out of kindness of their heart. At least I hope they are. This is what is known as the debtor's ethic, right? Like, I do something for you, now you're in debt to me. It's, it's called the debtor's ethic. I need to ask you another question. <laughs> Is this how you live your Christian life? Is this how you think about your walk with God? As we've been looking in Enoch who walked with God and Noah who walked with God. Are you constantly trying to pay back what Christ has done for you. That's a sobering thought. More specifically, is this what motivates you, what fuels you to obey God? Like, oh, I know how I can pay God back. I'll read my Bible and pray, and I will do something nice to some random person. So now I've paid God back for what he's done for me. Is that kind of how you are looking at your Christian walk with God today? I mean, yes, Jesus has lived and died and rose again, and he did so to save you and me. But I don't think as we read the Bible that grace and mercy ever says, okay, now I owe him, right? Now, I know there's a a sense that, yes, we are to give our lives to him because he bought us at a price. But if your day-to-day functioning is always living in this debtor's ethic, living in this idea that I must do X, Y, and Z, being obedient, because we are called to be obedient, right? We are called to be obedient to what the Word of God says. 
But if, if the thing that, that is motivating us to be obedient is, I'm just paying back God for what Jesus did on the cross, it, it's, you're going to stumble. You're going to, you're going to fall short constantly. It's the debtor's ethic at work. Should we try to use the idea that I'm repaying God for what he has done for me with my obedience? Brother and sister, this is not the right motivation for obedience. You're putting gasoline in a diesel engine that might get you there, but it might not get you back, right? It'll spit and sputter. I remember, I remember going to a band competition one time, and the, and the bus driver put the wrong fuel in the, uh, in the gas tanks. It, it did not work very good. We did not go up the hills very fast, and we were almost late for the band competition. The rest of the band was there, but my bus was not there. So it may work a little bit, but it's, you're going to sputter out, right? The only thing that can fuel or motivate our obedience is the promise of God's future grace. We see this with Noah. We see this all through the Bible. It's amazing how it is just said. I mean, even, even in that song we sang, right? When I close my eyes, the next thing I'll see is what? Jesus. That's future grace. That's the future, right? It's, the, it's, it's all through the Bible. We, we are to hold up everything that God has promised us and everything that we're about to walk into as motivation for obedience. I introduced this idea kind of last week. It's just something that has captured my heart and now I can't stop seeing it whenever uh, I'm reading it. And um, it's not something that Joe has come up with at all. I've seen it in Piper's writings. I've seen it in Keller's writings. I've seen it in Owen's writings. I see it in Edward's writings. I see it in Calvin's writings. I see it in Paul's writings. And I see it in Jesus' writings. This is not a Joe idea. That the motivation and the fuel for our obedience is what God has promised us in the future. It is future grace that we are to walk into. And what is happening here is something that we've talked about often. It's our unbelief, right? It's our unbelief. We're not believing at that moment in time that what God said is actually going to happen. It's unbelief. And how do we help our unbelief? It's by believing in God's future grace. Believing in all that he has promised us. Everything that he has promised promised us. So why bring it up here? Because the whole Noah account is about a man believing in God's future grace. I mean, think about it. When, when, when God came to Noah, he says, build this boat in the middle of the desert. Right now, obviously, Noah was declared a righteous man. Why was he declared to be righteous, being able to stand right before God? Because of his faith. Faith in what? What God had promised. And then we read last week all the different places where he was obedient. He was obedient. He obeyed God's word. Why? Because in faith, he was trusting what God said. Right? That's what was happening. We fail because we 
fail to believe. We're not believing in the right things. We're looking back and saying, oh, God did, did all this for us, and there is a good, right place for that. It actually changes our heart to, to um, worship Him. But what the Bible shows us is that the fuel for our faith is belief, is God's promises and future grace. Stop and think about it. What was Israel's problem? Remember, Moses is writing this to a group of people to, about what? To go into a promised land. And that all they did is ever grumble about what God said he's going to provide for them. They constantly did not believe in what God promised them would happen. Unbelief. In what? God's promises. In his future grace. Numbers 14, 11 says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. They were just completely forgetting the character of God and who he is. And definitely not even believing or trusting in anything that he says he's going to do. So again, why introduce this now? It's because of Noah and his promise of future grace. The flood is coming, God. The flood is coming. I will save you and your family. This is what fueled Noah's obedience. Hebrews told us that. It's faith in God's promises that fueled his obedience. That's, that's why he became a righteous person. That's how he became a righteous person. It was faith in God's promises is the sustenance of the child of God. It's meditating and knowing his promises. It's knowing that whatever you are about to walk into, there is something about the word of God that he's already promised you and gave you. That's why we want you to know the word of God. Even if it's just, okay, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and the, and the Spirit produces all these fruits. So are we believing that there'll be patience there when we need it? There'll be joy there when we need it? All walking in his future grace. We gaze into his word and see all that he has done and who he is and who he says we are. And this causes our heart to rejoice. And then we read all of the future promises he has given us. And our faith is fueled to believe and obey. Right? So we, we see who God is, all that he's done in, in us. It, it brings about worship. It brings about seeing who God truly is. We're lifting him high. We make much of God. And in doing so, our hearts are worshiping. And then as we go to obey, what fuels the obedience is believing in the promises that God has given us. And how can and why do we believe in those promises? Because of his character, because of who he is. It seems to me that as you read the New Testament, especially when you read Paul, he's constantly doing that, right? Ephesians, first three chapters, this is who God is, this is who you are. The last three chapters, go and obey. It's the life of the Christian. Noah knowing something about God when God came to him and said, Noah, I can't stand these humans. <laughs> I'm going to flood the earth, but you and your family will be saved. All future grace. Again, he's in the middle of the desert. It's all future grace. This is what fueled Noah's obedience, the promise of future grace. Noah's declared righteous. 
because of his faith in God's future promise of the flood and of being saved. All of this was in the future. This is what fueled his obedience. So when we left Noah last week, everything on dry ground that had breath died, and Noah and his family were sealed in the boat floating about the earth. Genesis 7, 24 says, And the waters prevailed in the earth 150 days. Noah is now living in the grace that God promised him. Is he not? He's now living in that future grace. If he didn't build the boat, believing in God's promises, right, he would have been wiped away with everybody else. He would have been wiped away with everybody else. Some of you might be saying, well, that's some kind of grace, Joe. Stuck on a, a rudderless square boat with a bunch of animals being tossed about in a hurricane. Yes. We might not think, but God knew how to save Noah. God knew what needed done in his plan. And then we turn to chapter 8 and we read these comforting words. Genesis 8.1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. God remembered. Some of you today are in the middle of your storm, wondering if God has remembered you. Has he remembered you? Maybe you're in a storm of, of health issues or relationship issues or work issues, or you're in a storm of you're not of your own making, but your life has been turned upside down. Where is God? Has he remembered me? Maybe you feel as if you have been abandoned. Brother and sister, he will not abandon you. He remembers you. Joshua 1.5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Listen to Samuel's words to the people as they asked him to pray for them. 1 Samuel 12 says, And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Now you're saying, well, that's the Old Testament. No, Peter tells us we're a royal priesthood. We are his people. We are children of God. He's not forgotten you. We haven't been sealed in a boat, but we have certainly been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You are not abandoned because he is always with you by his Spirit. Just as Derek, not knowing anything I'm going to say, unpacks the presence of God because he's listening to the word of God speak to him. You're not abandoned because he is always with you by his spirit. John 14, 16 through 18 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. He's not forgotten you in your storm. He remembers you. God has not forgotten you. Just as he didn't forget Noah. And the story continues. We see Noah's, Noah in his faithfulness exhibited through patience. It's kind of why I read the James passage about patience. I mean, there's some serious, as you read chapter 8, there's, some, there's a long time in between there. I mean, from the time, it's almost a year, a little over a year, that he's on his boat waiting for God to do what he said, believing him, trusting him. Think of it, a five-month lock-in with Miss, Mrs. Noah, his three sons and their wives, and all those animals. Noah was a patient man. Right? So the wind starts blowing and the waters go back to their designated area and the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, somewhere in Armenia. There the ark sat for over two more months until the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. It's verse 5, chapter 8. They sat patiently waiting for the ground to dry out. We see in verses 6 through 12 the extent of Noah's patience waiting on what? God's deliverance. His promise of future grace. His promise of future grace. He's patiently waiting. After 40 more days, Noah sent out a raven that did not return. Then he sent out a dove on three journeys, waiting seven days between each of the journeys for a total of 54 days. As the dove returned once, returned again with an olive leaf, and then did not return at all, signifying that the land is now dry. Noah is showing his faith through his patience. Through his patience. How many of us would still be waiting? I mean, this months waiting to get out of the boat. <laughs> we get impatient if we got to wait in line for 30 seconds. Talking about myself here. Patience. Noah did everything God commanded him over a hundred year period while building the ark, but then displayed astounding endurance and faith as he waited patiently for God's deliverance. He waited patiently for the promise of the future grace that God's going to give him. Noah was walking with God. This is what it means to walk with God. This is what Matt taught us several weeks back. That one of the, the things on the path is we are to allow God to determine what? The speed that we go. The timing. Noah is walking with God, patiently waiting, waiting for that future grace to come. That one that I'm going to, to, you know, he knew the flood happened because he was floating around for how many months? The voyage finally comes to an end and God decides to speak. Genesis 8 13 through 14 says this In the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from all the earth, and Noah removed the coverings of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Drop down to verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creepy things that creeps on the earth. They may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Verse 18. So how so Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Verse 19. Every beast, every creepy thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So what we kind of see here is, is Noah representing the second Adam, right? Right, a, a, a picture of Adam, right? It's, it's kind of bringing us back to Genesis 1 and, and how God created everything. Now he, he has all these animals and he's bringing them out to the, the new land that he has created. He steps into a new world washed clean by judgment amidst all that God created, like a new Eden, right? This is, he's, he's wiped the earth of, of all all the evil that he, he claimed before. And then they're coming out. And here's all the animals coming with him. Genesis 8.20 says, Then Noah built an altar for the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on their altar. So in response to all that God has done, Noah does what? This is, see, this is where I'm getting this. When I said that, that we see all that God has done, it creates worship. But in many ways that cannot fuel our obedience. It's, it's, it's the promises of God that fuels that obedience. Right? And we see this. What did Noah do whenever he got out of the boat? He worshipped. Noah worshipped. Right? He worshipped. Noah worshipped as is, all is good. Right? He worshipped everything that God has done for him. But let's not kid ourselves. There's something that entered the ark and exited the ark that's not listed in our Bible. And I'm sure most of you have already thought of it in your brain. Sin. Sin entered the ark with the people that entered the ark. And sin exited the ark when the people exited the ark, right? God says as much in his response to Noah's burnt offering. Listen to what God says to, in response to, to Noah's worship in 821. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So yes, the line has been continued, but there's still a heart issue. There's still a heart issue. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So then what does God do? He gives, he gives Noah motivation. He gives him more fuel for obedience. He gives future grace. We are to obey. Um, this goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. We are to cultivate the earth. That's what he's telling Noah, this is Noah's job now, just like it was Adam and Eve's job to cultivate the earth. He gives them a promise. And that promise is found in verse 22 of chapter 8. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. You see that, that all through this, he's, he's riveting Noah. As, as he speaks, he's consistently giving Noah promises 
This is what you hang your hat on. These are the promises that I will fulfill. This is the future grace that you're going to walk in. Many times we do the opposite, right? We do the opposite of Noah. Noah saw the promises of God and went headlong into the obedience. We see a, a, a thing like that and think, oh, I can do whatever I want because God got this, right? I can do whatever I want. We do the opposite many times. We look at the promises and, and just say, well, I'll, I'll do whatever I want. Yes, we believe the promise so that we don't live in, in the anxiety that the world will end because of certain environmental factors, but we have a promise from God that regardless of what sinful people do to the planet, we can press forward with the obedience of cultivating the land, which he gave us way back in Genesis, right? We are to cultivate the land with a promise that it will produce harvest, that it will produce a harvest. I mean, this is very fundamental. Why do you think the things in your garden grows? God's promise. Do you believe that? Do you, do you honestly believe that? Why do you have breath in your lungs right this second? Because God's promise. That this is what he does. Right? Many times we think harvest happens because we plant we cultivate the ground, we plant the seed, we weed the ground, we water the seeds. No, it happens because of God's promise that it'll happen. His promise of future grace. So now, let's apply this. We're about to plant a garden. What is motivating you to plant the garden? Is what motivating you to plant the garden everything that you have gained from that garden in, in the past? So that, well, I'm indebted to this garden, I gotta plant some more food because you're looking here, or are you looking to the future for one day when you get to go to the garden and you get some tomatoes and some cucumbers and some corn and whatever you planted? What is motivating you? It's the promise of future grace that is motivating you. And if you break that down in so many areas of your life, you will see Okay, why am I a lump on the log in this area of my life? Well, because you have nothing to put your hope in. Right? You have nothing to put your hope in. So many people garden, not because they say, oh, great, man, the, the land is going to, you know, it's done this in the past. No, they're motivated because of the future. And I know on some levels that illustration falls short, but I, I'm just trying to, to show you how this idea that our motivation is coming from future things, especially whenever it's God's promise. So God first responds to Noah is grace. So Noah was patient. He, he waited until God said, come out of the boat. He was, he was patient. He was obedient. And then he responds. The first thing he responds to is with grace. He also has two more responses. The next one we see is blessing. And we read that in Genesis 9-1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Very familiar words. Same blessing he gave Adam and Eve. But we do see sin's effect on the blessing. 
From what we read of Adam and the animals, they were in a pretty cordial relationship. I mean, they would almost have to be because he, you know, God brought the animals just like he brought the animals to the boat. He brought them past Noah, I mean, to Adam and Adam named them all, right? But we see here that something has changed. Something has changed within the animals because of sin. We read that in verses two and three of chapter nine. The fear of you and the dread of, of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the, the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So the animal's fear of man had naturally developed after the fall, and now after the flood, such fear was a part of everyday life. Humans can now enjoy the flesh of animals, which may or may not have been a new freedom. It doesn't really specify. It may or may not be a new freedom. If you go back to the Cain and Abel story, you can hypothesize all, all you can go all kinds of places with that. But which may or may not been a new freedom that we're able to eat the animals. God does give a restriction to Noah and the family he says, that is not to eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Why would you make this requirement? Simply to honor the life of the giver of life. God. He's the giver of life. And we know that, that the blood and life are synonyms or in a way they represent each other throughout the Old Testament. Life is in the blood and God is the giver of life. So if we have disregard for the gift of life, it is an affront to the giver of life. If we have disregard for the gift of life, it is an affront to the giver of life. Kidner points out that this prohibition against eating blood also prepared humanity to appreciate the use of blood in sacrifices, ultimately pointing us to the blood of the Lamb of God that is God's atoning gift to us. So it was a way to point forward. And God changes the focus from animals to humans. Knowing the earth was filled with violence, he told us that in 613, murder became a ho-hum everyday occurrence, much like it is today, unfortunately. Unfortunately. You see these videos that are coming out of Chicago where just a young couple is driving back from a parade and side-by-side -side stops them and six people jump out and and they kill them right there in the middle of the street. Why? Because they were driving down the thing with no remorse, with nothing. It's just unreal. The pravity of man. The pravity of man. But God required a reckoning. In Genesis 9, 5, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Our Ken Hughes gives us a good summary. Since man is created in the image of God, and as such is an immense value, and since the blood, the life, of man is God's alone, to take human life is to usurp God's sovereignty over life and death, and thus merits death itself. Precisely because life is so precious, the one who willfully takes another's life must suffer death at the hands of man. I'm not going to get into the debate about the death penalty, but I just would say, does your um, stance or your opinions, do they line up with the Word of God? 
in, in the heart of what God is trying to do here. God's trying to quench the evil that man can do by giving him a deterrent, right? So God responds to Noah with grace. He responds to him with a blessing, be fruitful and multiply, and, and finally with a covenant. We read this in Genesis 9, 8 through 11. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God makes a universal covenant with everything and everyone on the planet, good or evil. He makes a covenant. The covenant is, is the self-motivated promise of an unconditional mercy throughout human history. The covenant is the self-motivated promise of an unconditional mercy throughout human history. In other words, there's nothing that we have to do to earn his favor in this. God's just going to do it because he's God and because he said it. We are going to live in this future grace until he takes us home or Jesus comes back. We will live in it. The mercy is no matter is the mercy, no matter how bad things get, God will not wipe the earth clean through a flood. So ten minutes from now, ten hours from now, ten days from now, ten years from now. We are living in the future grace of God. The sign of the covenant is a rainbow, which, is, which we know appears when it rains and, God's, and the sun shines. And God said that the sign will remind him of this covenant. Genesis 9, 12 through 17 says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud... And it shall be a sign in the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the, when the bow is um, in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Today, we call this common grace. This is the common grace. It's like the rain falls on the just and the unjust. This is common grace that God is giving through this covenant, through this promise. As believers, we understand this forbearance and wait patiently for all things to be made new. One day it's all going to be made new. Whenever God decides to remove the earth, new heavens, new earth, however that's going to work, we wait patiently, just as Noah does, did. Just as Noah did. Rainbows remind us that divine wrath gave way to peace, and we see again salvation through judgment. It reminds us that the ultimate work of the new covenant, when God's wrath was turned away from us and put on his own son, 
on the cross. His wrath that we deserved was put on his son in our place. So that all who are in Christ find grace instead of wrath. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Christ, the greater Noah, saves his people from the waters of death by his faithful obedience and atoning sacrifice. See, Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. And in his perfect obedience, as we put our faith in him, it is then credited to us. And you're like, well, okay, what about right now? It's really for the future. It's for the, the future where, where one day we're going to stand before God, all of us. And then when God looks upon us, he sees his son. And because we put our faith in him, his righteousness, his perfect obedience is then credited to us. And we can be in the presence of God forever. Are you walking in this grace today, brother and sister? Or are we still trying to pay God back for all that he's done? Maybe we need to renew our mind, as Romans 12 tells us, to, to put in our minds all the promises that God has given us. And there are so many. Are you walking in that grace today? Shall we pray? Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask that you would, you would show us the rest of this week, the week after that, whenever we open up your word, they're going to see it, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that they see your promises and how so much of what you say is depending on trusting in, believing in, putting your faith in the future grace that we're about to walk in. That's what Noah believed. He believed that you're gonna that you would flood the earth, and he believed that if he built the boat, it would save him. He believed in your promises. Help us with our unbelief to believe in your promises, Lord. And Lord, let our hearts see all that you have done. This wonderful covenant that gives us no requirements. May we rejoice. May our hearts be full of joy to see what you have done and the promises that you've given us. Lord, I pray as we we go to be reminded of the new covenant that you will work in our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.